Well, good morning, everyone. It is a joy to see you here this morning as we worship the Lord together. And uh, I invite you to open your Bible and follow along with me today as we're going to look at the Scripture together and uh, hear from God. The Lord's got a word for you today. Do you believe that? He's got a word for all of us today. And uh, tell your neighbor, God's got a good word for you today. He does. He's got a good word for all of us today. I want to say thank you, first of all, before we read our scripture. I want to say thank you for all your kindness um, that you have shown toward our family during these uh, difficult days. And um, uh, if and uh, we have felt your love and your kindness and your prayer. And we are so grateful and thankful for that. Uh, my father-in-law passed away two weeks ago today, right? While we were having worship service, Don died, went home to be with the Lord. And uh, so uh, it was something that we didn't expect on that day, but we knew that that day was approaching. And so... Uh, we had a glorious funeral service and on that Friday and then on Saturday morning early, Christy's sister died who had sang and participated in the funeral and was in seemingly perfectly good health. And she was, Erica was a long time, for several years, member here at Bethel and was very involved in our ministry here and 54 years young she died suddenly in a catastrophic situation with her health that we didn't know about. And so that funeral was Thursday this week. And so you've just been very kind to us and prayerful and thoughtful. And I appreciate Brother Greg filling in for me last week. And Christy said, be sure and let everybody know thank you for your love and your prayers in this difficult time for all of us. Amen. It's good to be a part of God's family. Amen. Amen. Now, if you look with me to Mark's gospel, chapter number eight, Mark's gospel, chapter eight, we're going to begin reading today with verse number 27. Mark's gospel, chapter eight, beginning with verse number 27. Jesus went out with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the road he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? They answered him, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he strictly warned them to tell no one about him. Then he began to teach them that it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around, and looking at his disciples, he rebuked 
Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but human concerns. And calling the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? And what can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Amen. Father in heaven, I pray that you might speak to our hearts today. Our hearts are hungry. Our hearts are thirsty. We long for you. We desperately need you. Lord, today I confess my own personal exhaustion. And Lord, how I need you. Lord, I pray that we might listen closely to your word and the truths that are found here. And Father, that our hearts might be encouraged today. Lord, if there's someone here that is wondering about their own relationship with you. And Lord, maybe there's someone here today that feels so compromised in their own life spiritually, such a failure, and wondering what is the way or that way back to you. Father, I pray that today that you would impress upon their heart that you've made a way back. And that way is through Jesus Christ, your son. Father, others here today have many troubles and trials and heartaches. And I pray that, Lord, they might cast their burdens on you because you care for them. Others here today are wondering about their own personal following of Jesus. And, and Father, what it really means to be a follower of Christ. Father, clarify that again in our hearts. And lead us to make real commitment to you. Father, today we ask that you be honored in everything. And that, Father, that you have your way in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look at this text of scripture today, I think there are five questions. If you'd like to write them down, I encourage you to do so. It would be great for you to ask in your community group as you look at this text of scripture. The first question is this, who is Jesus to you? I think that's an important question. Who is Jesus to you? Secondly, for what purpose did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come to this earth? That's a pretty important question. Amen. Why did Jesus come here? Number three, what is required to be a follower of Jesus. What is it that is required 
to be a follower of Jesus. And number four, probably most importantly, am I following Jesus? Am I obediently following Jesus? So I want you to mull over those four questions as we think about them. And the structure of this teaching section is very intentional in Mark's gospel. Three different times Jesus predicts his death and suffering and it's found right here in chapter number 8 in verse 31 and 2. He began to teach them it was necessary for the Son of Man to suffer many things, to be rejected and to be killed and rise the third day. And right behind that, then Jesus begins to teach about what it means to be a disciple. In chapter number 8, beginning with verse number 34, he says, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow after me. Jesus uses a very similar thing in cha chapter number 9, which we've been reading through Mark's gospel in the last few weeks. In chapter number 9, verse 30, uh, it says in verse number 30, and they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. And uh, then he says, he was telling them the son of man's going to be betrayed in the hands of men. They will kill him. And after he's killed, he'll rise three days later. Again, he's trying to teach them that he's going to die. They did not understand this statement. And then chapter 9, verse number 35, he says, he called the 12 and said, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. He's teaching them about discipleship. In chapter number 10, in verse number 32, it says, <clears throat> and they were on the road going to Jerusalem and he was walking ahead of him and the disciples were astonished. And those who followed him were afraid and taking the 12, he said, he began to tell them the things that would happen to him. We're going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes. They'll condemn him to death, hand him over to the Gentiles. They'll mock him, spit on him, kill him, and he'll rise again the third day. Again and again, Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die, and I am going to rise again. And right behind that, Jesus is teaching about discipleship. For in verse number 42, he called them and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those in high position ask a as, act as tyrants over them, but not so among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you will be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. After each of these, Jesus is teaching what does it mean to be a disciple. It means complete commitment to Christ and selfless service. Not living for self, but living for Christ. We have such faulty perspective of what it means to follow Jesus a faulty understanding of who Jesus really is, a faulty understanding of why Jesus came on this earth, 
and a misunderstanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Several years ago, David Platt wrote a book called Radical, and in it he says these words, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting it into a version of Jesus that we're more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism, who would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who's fine with nominal devotion, who does not infringe on our own comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid extremes, and who, for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live our spin on the American dream. That's the perversion in so much of American Christianity. But Jesus said, come, follow me, leave everything, die to your own agenda, and follow after me. Now notice the corrective that Jesus has given us in this passage of scripture. First of all, in order for us to really follow Jesus, you must know and personally confess who Jesus is. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Amen. In verse number 27, back to our text. In Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. Now, this is in the northern part of Israel. Those who go to Israel uh, with me or been on his, uh, trips to the, the Holy Land, we always make our way to Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's in the most northern extremes. It's near an ancient city called Banias, uh, or was known the area Panias, I think before that, in northern Israel. It's at the base of Mount Hermon, which is the snow-capped mountain there in Israel, on the Israel-Syrian border. It is the place where the headwaters of the Jordan River began. And in this ancient, near the ancient city of Dan, there in northern Israel. It's beautiful, it's lush, it's, it's green, it's, and, and from ancient times, it's a center of idol worship. In this place, in a rock cleft in the side of the, mountain, the hills, you see where the water is gushing from underneath the rock base. You see there at the base of Mount Hermon, all of these niches that have been carved in the side of the mountain. And it's places of idol worship where the whole panoply of Greek gods have been worshipped and even other idols before them. And they worship in the rocks at that rocky place, believing that somehow they could connect with God. And Jesus there asked the disciples in this sort of retreat and getaway from the large crowds takes them up north in a spiritual retreat, and he asks them quest this question. 
He says, who do people say that I am? And the disciples regurgitate the question, the answer that they most often hear. Some say that you are John the Baptist come back from the dead. That's the very thing that Herod and some of his associates say concerning who is this miracle working preacher, Jesus. And they said, you know, John the Baptist, whom you had killed, I think he's come back alive again. Now, why did they say that? Because like John the Baptist, Jesus was a powerful preacher. He was a preacher of the gospel. He preached Repent from sin and turn back to God, which is the same message that John the Baptist preached. He preached, believe in God. He preached, keep the law, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He preached that the kingdom of God is near, and he preached that the Messiah is coming, and that he is a forerunner, a preparer of the way of the Lord. That's what John the Baptist preached. And Jesus preached to repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. But Jesus is much greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist pointed to the one who would come, and Jesus is the one. You say, when you call Jesus Elijah, come back from the dead, even though that sounds like a compliment, it far is far less than who Jesus really is. Others say that you're Elijah. Elijah was the father of the prophets. Elijah was a miracle working, anointed by the Spirit of God, confronted kings, a forerunner to the Messiah. But Jesus is much more than Elijah. Others said that Jesus is like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, a compassion for God and a compassion for the brokenness of sin that is caused for God's people. But Jesus is greater than Jeremiah. All of these are good things, favorable, positive, affirming things that people were saying about Jesus. But they're all inadequate because Jesus is no ordinary man. Jesus is not just an ordinary prophet. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. And today there are many who applaud him as a good man. They reference him as a moral teacher. They talk about him as an example to follow. They honor him, but they misrepresent him. They applaud him and misrepresent who he really is. There's a popular podcaster and teacher that's all over the internet, and many of you probably listened to him. He's a social conservative in many ways. He's a psychologist a social scientist, a philosopher, a teacher, and he's enamored with the Bible and Jesus, but he has never confessed Jesus Christ as the Lord of his life. And unless Jordan Peterson turns from sin and trusts Christ, he will be lost. And the same for Ben Shapiro, who some of you think is a Messiah, he's not, or Dennis Prager, and I'll just say either one of the heads of both political parties are far away from knowing God. Amen. So what is an acceptable answer? In verse number 29, look with me, it says, But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Now, Peter pipes up, 
You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the king. Hmm. Now, this is the acceptable answer. This is the very thing that Mark is trying to prove in the giving of his gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What a great declaration for the beginning of this gospel. He is Jesus. He is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. Not only as Mark tells this gospel and writes it, he has God the Father saying, you are my beloved son. I take delight in you. In chapter 1, verse 11. In chapter 1, verse number 24, the demons cry out, the Holy One of God, that's who you are. In chapter 3, verse 11, the demons say, you are the Son of God. In chapter 5, verse 7, the demons say, Jesus, Son of the Most High. And at the closing in, in, of, of the Gospel of Mark, the Roman centurion cries out, this Gentile, this man really was the Son of God. But at the heart of, God, of Mark's Gospel. In chapter number eight, at the halfway point of the writing of this chapter, he says in chapter number eight, at the very center of the writing of this gospel, the question is, but who do you say that I am? And then for the first whole half of the book of the gospel of Mark, it is Mark's proving that Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. Peter says, you are the anointed one. You are the one coming in the lineage of David that we all looked forward to your coming. You are the anointed king of all. You are the one that God has sent. You are Messiah, master, king. That's who you are. You are Jesus. And you, Jesus, are Lord. In Matthew's gospel, we're told that Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And nobody can say that Jesus is Lord unless the Spirit of God has worked in your heart. But when you say Jesus is Lord, that means that he's the ruler of your life. And there are some of you sitting in this room, maybe today, and you say, yeah, yes, Jesus Christ is my Savior. I, I, I believe that Jesus is my Savior, but is he the Lord of your life? Amen. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? Jesus said, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, enters the kingdom of heaven, but he Amen. that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven Jesus said, many will say on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many, many miracles? And then I will declare to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Jesus is not looking for just some word affirmation that you prayed a prayer in the back of a track one day and you think you're going to heaven. It's about having Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life. Yes, Lord. Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6, beginning with verse number 14. For sin will not rule over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Should we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. Don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves to the one you obey, 
either of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed him from the heart, that pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Wow. You have a new Lord, a new master. And the old Lord and the old master you've been set free from. Satan used to rule in your life. He was the one that gave the marching order in your, in your life. Your own flesh were the marching orders in your life. But now you've died to that way of life. And you live to a new way of life. And you've hitched your life to Jesus Christ as the master and king. You have been risen to walk with Christ. Reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Amen. And that can only happen through Jesus Christ. Yes, Amen. So in verse number chapter, Romans chapter 6, verse number 22. But now since you've been set free from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in holiness, sanctification, and the outcome's eternal life. Amen. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. In chapter number 10, verse number 1, this is why Paul is writing concerning his own people. He said, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is their salvation. I can testify. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God and attempted to establish their own righteousness They've not submitted to God's righteousness. He said they're lost. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then later he writes in verse number 8, chapter 10. Stay with me. I, we're looking at a lot of Bible today because we need to. In chapter number 10, verse number 8. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. And this is the message of faith we proclaim. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Messiah. And believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And the one who believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. And the one who confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek because the same Lord richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Wow. So who is Jesus to you? This is the inescapable question. And there's only one acceptable answer. That you are Lord. Amen. You're King. And I submit to you yes, as King Amen. of my life. And when you do, you will be born again. Hallelujah. So the question is, are you living for Christ? After the funeral this week, I was talking to one of our relatives. He's a young man in his 20s. 
And I said to him, I said, what's happened over the last several days has been difficult, hasn't it? He said, yes. I said, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? He said, well, I know he was a good man. And I know that he died. And I said, but is he your Lord? Are you living for him? And he said, no. I'm not living for him. And I said, are you certain that you know him as your savior? He said, I'm not certain at all. I said, well, you can't be because you're living in disobedience. You see, when you confess Jesus to be your savior, you confess him to be your Lord. And you commit your life to live for him. None of us live it perfectly. No, none of us. That's why we all have to confess our sins and repent and be right. We, we're all on a journey, right? Amen. But there's some of you who have never even surrendered to Christ as the Lord of your life. You're just living after however you think you want to live. I had a conversation this week with a, a medical doctor who we've developed a close relationship with in and I, as I was talking with him about his faith, and I said, well, talk to me about your faith, where you're at in your walk and your obedience to Christ and letting him change your life. He said, well, I'm just stuck. And I said, why are you stuck? He said, because I'm mad. Why are you mad? He said, I'm angry at God because he took my mother. And I'm angry at God because I don't like how my life is. And I said, so you've become the sinner? It's all about you. He said, I suppose that's what I'm doing. And I said, what if you make it all about him? He said, why do you always do this to me? He said. I said, because God loves you. Yes, and the enemy is lying to you. Amen. He said, well, I want to see you in a month. We will talk again. He said, by the way, I'm reading those books you gave me. I said, good. I'm praying for his salvation. second part in this text of scripture today is you must learn and affirm the ways of God not man in chapter number 8 verse 31 look with me in the text he began to teach them it was necessary for the son of man to suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the word necessary it means he must it is imperative he not only is the Messiah, Jesus, not only is he the son of David of Psalm 2, but Jesus 
must suffer. That means that Jesus' ministry, why did Jesus come? He came because he's going to suffer, he's going to be rejected, he'll be killed, and he'll rise again. Notice in verse number 31, he says he will be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and rise after three days. He must suffer. You see, Jesus is not only the anointed Messiah, but what did Jesus come to do? He came to suffer in our place. Jesus came to be the vicarious suffering servant. Jesus, this is what they didn't understand. And Peter didn't even understand that Jesus had to come and die. Why? Because mankind was in a sin problem. And without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And the blood and bulls of goats can never take away sin. And no human being in their sin can pay for sin. It takes one who's perfect without sin, without spot or blemish in their heart, in their soul. And that is only one, Jesus Christ, the one without sin. And he is the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus died a perfect sacrifice on the cross, making atonement for all of our sin before holy God. And the wrath of God's holiness is poured out against the sinfulness of mankind. And it is atoned for in the perfect death of Christ for our sin. Amen. And he is a sufferant, a servant who suffers so that we might be made whole. Thank you, Lord. We have a debt we could not pay. Yes, Sinners can't pay for their sins and satisfy a holy God. Only a righteous one without Amen. sin must atone for the sin of unrighteous ones. And it's at the cross of Christ yes, in all of its suffering and in all of its shame that the glory of God is manifest to all of us where the judgment of God and the grace of God kissed each other on the cross of Christ. Oh glorious Savior we have. He must it is necessary because there is no other way. God's will is often a challenge, but it is perfect. Peter often suffers from foot in the mouth disease. contagious. In verse 32, he spoke openly about this. Peter took him aside. Can you imagine the sheer audacity of Peter to do such a thing? And began to rebuke him. That word is very strong word. It's the word rebuke here is the very word Jesus used to rebuke demons. And he's Dressing Jesus down for what he just said. Can you imagine? Well, 
The last word isn't Peter's word. And turning around and looking at his disciples, here's the same word again. Jesus rebukes Peter. And he said, get behind me. What's he call him? Satan. Satan. You're not thinking about God's concerns, but humans' concerns. You see, Peter wasn't on board with the suffering Messiah, so... He tries to rebuke him. That was a bad call on Peter's part. And the reason I think that Jesus calls Peter Satan is because Satan's voice is clearly heard in Peter's words. Jesus had heard those voices before. In Matthew chapter 4, we have Jesus away in the wilderness in his temptations. And those temptations were to shortcut the cross. You see, sometimes we want a Messiah to fit your conception of what he should do. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out to God and sweat as it were his perspiration as great drops of blood. And in that struggle in the garden, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And there's no shortcut to the cross. And he said, the son of man could not come to be served, to but serve and give his life a ransom for many. You see, God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part. He washed our feet and our hearts with his atoning death. What a glorious Savior we have. Amen. Finally, and I won't have time to preach through all of this today. You must understand and accept that Jesus calls you to a life of death. In verse number 34, calling the crowd to his disciples, he said, if anyone wants to follow me, Let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and follow me. You see, a self-centered life needs to be put to death. You want to follow Jesus? It means deny yourself. Give up the right to self-determination. Give up the idol of I in your life. And listen, this is so hard. Because we live in a world that, in, in American culture, Western world culture, we've run headlong to the idolatry of self. It's all about me, my, my rights, my concerns, my comforts, my desires, my cravings, my opinions, my preferences. 
And we live in a society that's all about my rights, my desires, affirm me in my lifestyle, coddle me in my wounds, celebrate me in my rebellion. This is... This call of Jesus is radically different. You see, we celebrate and we put I on the throne and not thou on the throne, as Martin Buber said. And what we've got to say is not about me and my feelings and my rights and what I want and my preferences. It's about him. And I say no to me and I say yes to him. Secondly, I take up my own cross. That means I die. I'm willing to sacrificially live my life. Now, that not, that's not normal. It's not natural, but it's necessary. It's bearing the pain in your own life, in your own self. And when you say, I'm going to follow Jesus, that means I'm going to live my life, and I'm willing to die to my own self but I want to live to the righteousness and the glory and the pleasing unto God. And that means that I'm going to love other people that are messed up and lost. And I'm going to sacrificially give and love my fellow brother and sister. And that means that I'm willing to absorb in my own insult and forgive and hurt those who hurt, I'm going to care for them. And those who revile me, instead of turning and reviling them, I bless them. And this is the way of vicarious living under Jesus Christ. Jesus said the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me? Then don't put your hand to the plow and turn back. Put your hand to the plow and you follow after me. I'll chart the way. I'll show you what it means. But we're going to live in this world and love people and die to self and live to God. Amen. When you follow me, make me the Lord of your life, then you begin to live like I lived. This is the new way of life. Oh, but we want to play it safe. We want to hoard our own treasure. We want to live as if life's all about here. If you're not careful, we become like the rich young ruler. We think we've kept all the laws, but the one we've missed is not loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Amen. And we love our treasures on this earth more than we do to God. This week, I stood in the back porch of my father-in-law's home. My father-in-law's gone now. My mother-in-law's gone now. Two of Christie's sisters are gone now. Had a beautiful home sitting out in the country. Mini farm, barn filled with equipment, tools. The house is filled with artifacts from all over the country from multiple mission trips. The house is filled with all kinds of knickknacks and things and plates and dishes and a house, furniture. The barn, Christie's dad was a bit of a hoarder. Everything was just all, he always thought, you know what, I could keep that because I might need to use that to help fix something else I got. And so he just had all kinds of stuff, but all kinds of equipment. 
Just like I do. I got stuff. Anybody here got stuff? I got stuff. My basement's full of stuff. My garage is full of stuff. My friends, you don't take the stuff with you. Amen. And sometime, not very long from now, my kids will be standing at my house saying, look at all this junk dad's got. And it's just stuff. What's life all about? In my father-in-law and mother-in-law's tombstone, Erica was buried right next to Don. His grave was still fresh, the dirt still fresh from just a few days. And now right beside it is Erica. And I looked at the tombstone that Christy and her sister had worked on for their dad and mom. And there was a scripture verse across the top of the stone. For me to live is Christ. But to die is gain. That was a good reminder for me. When you make Jesus Lord, it far outweighs anything this world has to Amen. offer. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world but lose his own soul? Who is Jesus to you? Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It's powerful, it's true. I pray that today, today, we might turn from sin and our self-centeredness and turn to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance and obedience. In Jesus' name, amen.